Welcome to the Creatives with AI podcast. I'm your host, David, and this is a show where we share insights about the future of artificial intelligence and how it will affect the lives of people working in the creative industries. On today's show, we chat with Natalia Tolkovska, founder of Natalka Design. In our wide-ranging conversation, we touch on the intersection of creativity, design, and artificial intelligence. Natalia discusses how AI tools can expedite design workflows and boost creativity while emphasizing the importance of the human touch in crafting unique and impactful designs. And the discussion also delves into the broader implications of technology on society, from shifts in job markets to concerns about living in a data-driven bubble. Natalia contemplates a future with highly skilled humans and the need for inclusivity in this rapidly evolving landscape. The conversation wraps up by addressing the influence of algorithms on our online experiences, their role in curating personalized content, and the resulting loss of serendipity. As the founder of Natalka Design, Natalia has over 12 years of experience creating high-stake visual communication tools, enabling leaders to drive business growth, communicate confidently, engage their audience, and drive action. She's also an accredited business coach, a guest lecturer at UAL and CSM, an expert in residence at Imperial College, and a six-time global TEDx and international keynote speaker. Natalia's team uses visual behavioral innovation methodology, well, that's a mouthful, to make sense of complex and industry-specific data to produce human-centric and data-driven visual solutions to make a true impact. From live scribe graphic art, visual markers and metaphors, animations, projection mapping, experimental design, art direction, to specialized communication strategies for some of the world's most influential organizations, such as the British government, the British royal family, top global brands, the big four, FTSE 100, Disney, Google, HSBC, and many more. Links to Natalia's profile and social media will be in the show notes and on our website at creativeswith.ai. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Natalia. Natalia, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. How are you today? I'm good. Fancy you ask. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm enjoying the podcast and the weather's nice for a change. And yeah, things are good. So it's summer. It's it's amazing. I can't complain. Anyone that complains about summer or heat, don't come to me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> exactly. So I've done an intro at the beginning of the podcast, so people know your official bio. But maybe if you could just do in a, you know, in a few sentences, just explain to people what it is that you do to give the conversation a little bit of context. Sure. So I run a company called Natalka Design, 12 years now, uh, launched in London, and we do strategic communications and visual storytelling for business. So how that shows up is basically companies come to us with their big messages, with their big pains, and we find a way visually to narrate, communicate that big message to help them grow, sell, engage, have someone to say yes, whatever is the purpose. But basically, that's where we swim. And the visual output can be anything from illustration, animation, projection mapping, VR, set design, whatever it is that we need to create, we create. But the number one thing for me is always, what's the pain? What's the problem? What are we actually trying to do here? And we go from there. So a lot of strategy first, then execution. Interesting. And so how do you approach the creative process when you're trying to develop some sort of a visual system when you've got people coming to you with like really complex ideas? 
It's very irritative and very interactive. So that's why I always say first strategy and first let's really sit down and discover some things. Of course, if we have time and the client is willing, you know, there will be briefs where we just need to make something happen like all of us and we do that. But the the purpose of this business is to really find the right way to tell that story, uh, to, to find the right way to engage as much as we can. Because there's a lot of visual work out there, visualizations and turning things into pretty pictures, basically, but they don't do much. They're not as impactful as uh, we would wish it would be. So I observe a lot of that sort of misconception around visual storytelling in business where it's just it's a nice to have rather than must have. And once you uncover the kind of power behind it based on taking the client on a journey, literally sitting down, down with them, talking with them through that process and letting them tell you what's the problem and what's the journey and what's the want and what's the goal, suddenly it becomes really, really um, impactful because they are then encouraged and they have the tools to take that story and take it to whoever is their audience to engage them. So we are really, really big on taking the client through that discovery strategy piece, which literally could look like something like this. We sit down on Zoom or in person and we do something called instant visualization where the client speaks through what the problem is. And in real time, we plug ourselves in and we show him literally, oh, is that what you mean? Is that where we're going? Is that the way? We sketch things out as they talk, which adds five times faster kind of almost uh, results to that process because the, the client is like, whoa, I didn't expect that. I'm already here. And it's more creative. It's more, there's more critical thinking. They, they can voice their ideas better and it just speeds up the entire process. So saving time is, is, a, is a huge one for us as well. And is that where you're now starting yeah. to use AI to help speed up that process a bit? Yes and no, depending on what we're doing with the client. So I would say tools like even, you know, in Notion or uh, ChatGPT, there's everywhere there's AI, right? Even in a Canva. Everywhere. So it, it, right? These tools are sitting everywhere in terms of like even Adobe Firefly, just describe things for me and I'll make it happen, right? So that is an amazing way to also help us speed up the process rather than sit for 10 minutes and go around a, you know, mountain and try to cut it out. I'll just say it to AI and it makes it happen. So in that sense, it speeds up the process. In terms of very contextualized, personalized work with the client and following what they say in a very kind of in tune way visually and with the brain, that's still very much a human experience. So we dabble, we take things from AI, but we can't rely fully because there's not that sort of context to it yet. How do you see AI fitting into sort of the kind of creative, the visual creative process that you do then? What, like, I know we talked a little bit. So how do you actually use it? Where, where do you find AI is helpful in the process for you? So I would say it's more in the kind of ideation process rather than the final product, because the final product is very bespoke. It's very contextualized to the client. It's very branded. It has to have all the elements to it. For example, imagine we're doing a rich picture and it has to have the logo, the colors, the right fit, the right even type of illustrations or designs or graphics that they need. Otherwise, it's not going to go through. The team is not going to 
give a tick to it. So I would say at the messy ideation sketch-like process, the strategic, the kind of thinking, the, the brainstorm, so many cool tools that can speed it up and excite the client because even, I don't know, we can sometimes even have fun with mid-journey and just ask them to spit out some things for us in terms of what do you see? What kind of things should we be looking for? What sort of sentiment visually are you after? At this stage, many times the it's a it's a kind of it's an exercise because many times they go a bit tired they're like oh it's not giving me what i want <laughs> so you know in that respect i always think it's still very much going to be for a long time a dance between a human and a and and the machine and i think it's it's actually the exciting part of it because it, it brings so much more context and flavor to the entire experience it's exciting because it's tech and it can do so many things but the exciting part that you can show as a human as well is managing it and guiding it and and treating it as that as many people call it co-pilot rather than you know sitting down and starting to cry that it takes your job no one's taking your job we all need to pay taxes the world is uh, you know very much a capitalistic world that needs us to earn and spend so I find that there's a still while away before we all sit by the river and paint all day. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that as well, because it's one of the experiences that I've had personally in that it, whether it's a chat GPT and you're trying to get it to produce something written or it's Dolly or mid journey and you're trying to get it to create an image, it's almost like a business case, like, or a business plan. When you write a business plan, the value of the business plan isn't the document that you produce at the end of it. It's the thinking that has to go into writing the document in the first place. As soon as you have, have submitted that or you've, you know, you've published your business plan, it's out of date already. But it's the process of thinking about writing all that stuff up is where the value comes. And I feel it's very similar. And this is what I've started to learn with again those the ai tools because if you don't prompt it correctly and you don't tell it what you want it won't give you what you need and so what i found again personally is that i end up spending a lot of time having to think about well what is it that i really want and what is it that i'm really trying to get and it's like working with a real designer you know i've i've had real designers and say i want cover art for the podcast and they say great what do you want and they're like well, i don't know and they're like okay that's not helpful <laughs> yeah, it's like give us a direction like do you like a color do you want like what sort of feel do you want it to have and i can see where that could be really valuable also in your case to sit and watch someone struggle with prompting it because what you're learning is is you're learning from them going through that process is that kind of is that, I assume that's kind of what you're saying is that it's, it's watching them kind of struggle to describe what it is that they want, which is actually helping you as the, as the artist to come up with those visual ideas. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like taking our process anyways, and, and in some ways bettering it in some ways, it's still very much human needs to be part of it, at least where we are right now. And at least with the type of work that we do, because don't get me wrong, if we were just churn out 10 logos for me. It can. It's fun, you know, and, and these tools actually existed while a uh, long time ago now with these with creating logos and things like this. So it's not like it's changing everyone's world. But when it comes to something very specialized and it needs to be in a certain way and the message needs to be conveyed in a specific, again, way, the process needs to be there. And, and I hope 
humans will want to be part of it because otherwise it will all look the same. It will be quite passive. It, it, there won't be any progress in terms of thinking differently because, of course, all these tool, tools are amazing, like you say, but the prompt needs to be there. Often, like actually funny you say that yesterday I had a conversation with a few people where they say, I actually feel sometimes quite limited by it. I'm like, in what way? And they're like, I don't know, it just feels the same. And it feels kind of like it's just giving me similar stuff. I'm like, I, I kind of challenge, like you say, well, how about changing completely the prompt or something or whatever? Yeah, you know, I try to like be more descriptive in that tone of voice with that sort of style, but it's still not necessarily kind of like I can't finish there. I'm still stuck. I find it again that people, it's almost like the first wave of the bubble that some of us are in because mine, David, I've been to a few shows recently at Excel and the amount of people that raised a hand that know what's ChatGPT was very low, that use was lower, that use and pay was very low and that are comfortable with few hands. <laughs> <laughs> so I always think about it in terms of like, it's all always innovation is very unevenly dispersed always. Right. So there will be bubble people, some of us, right. And there'll be people who are like chat what, and they'll, you know, so it's, it, it just will progress naturally, but, uh, it's, it's still way away. So I would say use it definitely to help you to speed up the process of your work to better it if there's any tool that can do that boring admin for you that you hate doing or it's samey that's amazing that's brilliant everyone should be jumping on that boat e equally we are also very careful when we do like even social content or something for youtube or whatever we're like oh like we need we need to add a bit of us here because it is just if I see another comma before end, I'm just going to pass out. You know, it just looks so chat GPT. <laughs> so, but that's the US way, by the way. So you, you get that. It's the Oxford comma. Oxford that's a whole comma. separate podcast on its own. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I find ourselves like I was talking about it. Maybe there's a book in there. I was always saying when we, we started using chat GPT, at some point I was like, make it more human. Can you make it more human? And I sometimes think to myself, what the hell are you saying, Natalia? Does it understand you? Like, what does it mean? What, what sort of information does it take from? How does it perceive it? Me saying, make it more human. And this is kind of what I'm talking about. This kind of, we're both needed, at least at this stage. Talk to me in 10 years and we all might find ourselves at by the river painting, David. And that wouldn't be a bad thing either, eh? I like by the river painting. That's a good, that's a good image to have as opposed to the world burning down, which some people think is going to happen. Yeah. So where do you sort of, how do you see it impacting the industry as a whole over the next sort of maybe three to five years? I mean, maybe I, you know, there's, I'm a very positive person and always thinking in a positive way in that sense. But I always think whatever job right now that you can see that the tool can take, it will be taken. So a lot of my friends who are in copywriting or whatnot are like, where's my clients? And, but also then there's that sort of shift of, oh, the, some new clients are back because they need me to manage that, or they need me to add that human element that I was talking about. So I feel like there's a that sort of shift, the first wave of a bit of a shock, and then it balances itself out where the, the creative, the creator will find a new way to use their skills and the client will find better ways to utilize that because they will find those frustrations with the tool. Because everything needs to be at some point managed. It's, it, if you just let it be 
will all sound like ChatGPT and there'll be like this, like, you know, one layer of everything, right? That is two years behind. Uh, but I would say that whatever, if you feel already that your job or part of your work can be affected, probably you will. So it's about, for me, as I say, kind of at least being part of it, using those tools, experimenting with them. We're having random fun sometimes in the studio. So just putting aside some time to, when someone speaks to me about runway or the journey or whatnot, I have some idea. I'm not just like laughing and smiling at them and I have no idea. So I would say that it will just naturally take the kind of, I would say, admin, let's call it boring, repetitive skills and tasks that can be done. So I see in the future, imagine I'm, I'm filming a YouTube vlog and instead of talking to one of my teammates and bless them, hopefully they'll be there by then as leading the you know creative rather than sitting down and churning everything in Adobe. I would want a situation where I'll throw it in the mix and I'll say, this is a vlog about Lisbon. This is what I want people to get out of it. Make sure you have these funny moments. Take out those moments. Don't put any moments where the camera is blurry. Give me a five to 10 minute video that is highly clickable on YouTube, right? And prepare all the titles, all the social. So, so that stuff will be taken. Now, I will need a human to direct it for me, to art direct it for me, to strategize it for me, to bring it to the world in a meaningful way. So... That's what I'm kind of sensing in the creative, at least industry, that will be more of that, again, partner doing the things that some of us are like, oh, I don't want to do that. So on, on one hand, probably anyone that's like in now in filmmaking or video editing is nervous to hear what I'm saying, but I would say get excited about it, learn these tools and place yourself as an expert to manage and run this stuff. Because most of clients, if I'm very honest, whenever we go to conferences, meetings and workshops, they ain't got time. They're busy with their numbers, with their uh, team issues, with their KPIs, with the heavy stuff. So just today before call, even with you, one of my clients said, we are lacking like creativity. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? Give me, name it. What does it mean day by day? And she's like, I don't know. Everything's like the same. Like we need someone to come in and tell a story, suggest ways we could be different, suggest ways where next event doesn't have to be in a, the same space with the same people, with the same slides. Like it's, it's beyond that. So I would say that it almost could be in that sense more attractive for the creative world and the creators to kind of showcase more of their brains rather than just churning out the tasks sometimes, which we can be a bit placed in. Because I like to think about ourselves more first strategy than the visuals. They'll be beautiful no matter what. I have tools for that. I have humans for that. I have talent. I know I can do it. For me, the fun part is let's think about it. Let's strategize it. Let's make it awesome. That's where we all want to sit together in one room. Yeah, it's a good point. And it's a good point about the tools as well. Something I've said in the past is, a lot of the stuff with Adobe Firefly, I mean, frankly, some of it is original, but also a lot of it is anybody who was skilled with Photoshop in the beginning could do a lot of it anyway. And mid-journey, I always use the Pope in a puffer jacket, so I'm really sorry to everybody who's listening because I'm going to use it again. But anybody with a, with a moderate level of skill in Photoshop could have made that as well. So it's not 
a lot of it isn't the fact that people can do it. It's that everybody can do it. So then that maybe leads me, sorry, I'm talking a lot. I apologize. That leads me into the next question, which is, okay, we've sort of thought about leaning in and everybody using it. And over the next few years, we have to get good at using the tools. So then if you extrapolate that out to sort of 10 or 15 years down the road, how do you see, how do you, how do you see it at that point? Do you think the AI will have matured enough that actually we won't even need the, we won't even need the mid-level people at that point because the AI will be good enough to do most of the tasks if it's just being run by a senior person? I'll be quiet now. Sorry, I've talked for a no, long time. Don't worry, David. Usually it's me talking. So, hey, uh, we're good. But, uh, I mean, great points as well. You're the guest. You're then, supposed to talk. <laughs> <laughs> for me, you know what's coming to my mind straight away? Whatever happens with this planet and machines and tech, humans, in order to thrive, be happy, go less to therapy, don't feel lonely, isolated, and unhappy, need other humans. So whatever this thing will be, and I'm not a prophet, I'm not following obviously in the same room as everyone else, you know, what OpenAI is doing. I don't have the future kind of, you know, predictions and all that in place because frankly, if anyone is very confidently speaking about the next 10 years, I would be careful trusting them. It will continue to grow. It will continue to better itself. Lots of jobs will change and go just like in any history. We needed someone to stand all day and use a machine or ride a horse to carry food. And then we didn't have to. So history just repeats itself in a different way. So this will continue to happen. But my prediction is that we'll always need and want to be around other humans. Now, both in remote way, just like I'm with you. I'm very grateful we can meet, we can have a chat. Otherwise it would never happen. Just, you know, next door in London. Equally, hopefully on Wednesday we can meet, right? So unless we want a very unhappy and isolated society that will continue to go down a darker path of what are we even doing on this planet and start asking very existential questions if everything's being taken from us and what are we doing here, we need as humans, as far as I remember the famous pyramid, well, it was Maslow's pyramid or something, where we need to feel purpose, we need to feel creative, we need to feel needed, wanted, seen, all that stuff to, to thrive, to be a human. So I predict that whatever these tools will be, however we'll be filtering our jobs and shifting and changing, it's for us to continue to do that as well. And if my skill is visualizing, how can I take it to the next level? So that skill is not going away. I'll just use it in a different way. And actually, I, I also sense something, a bit of a renaissance at some point might happen where using a human with really specialized skills will be very attractive. It's just how you will decide or not to place yourself in that world. Will you decide to Th uh, become an expert in it in terms of, I know my shit. I can wake up at 4 a.m. and visualize anything you want me to in a speed of light. I know a machine can do that, but I'll bring the human layer, the context and the experience of the world that it can carry like me. Because it again goes down to make it more human. <laughs> so 
I think we'll all always need each other. I think we'll all always need jobs, at least as far as I'm concerned, how this world is built, how the system works. We need to earn, we need to spend, we need to earn, we need to spend. <laughs> That's literally the world we live in, right? We can't just earn or we can't just spend. So it will go in a very interesting trajectory, I think, and we'll be more and more impressed. And your child probably will be like, dad, look at my job. And you'll be like, what the hell? I didn't expect that. This is brilliant and this is crazy. And I think it will be very exciting to watch that. But equally, as I mentioned at the beginning, it will be very unequally dispersed because we always forget that we're, we are in a bubble. People in London, people in Singapore, people in San Francisco, people in LA, New York. We are surrounded by people that talk about the same things, that have access to a lot of that stuff. Access number one. In a lot of countries, we forget people still don't know what's internet. And that fascinates me. The good, thing about that, the good thing about that is once you give them that access, ooh, I'm waiting for that, David, because the world is so much more colorful and diverse than we ever will think. It's just these people have no access. So everything in that sense actually excites me. I want more people to get access that they can sit from wherever they sit and spend really little and they have still super high skills, and the world will go like, whoa. I guess the question that feeds into that is, is a lot of the people with those skills spent many years developing those skills. And I totally agree. And I, I, I agree with your premise that eventually human-created content or human-done you know, tasks in some areas I think will become that you know that'll become the highly valuable work that people most people can't afford. I guess the example I always use is is I won't use the hat example. I'll use shoes this time because I've used hats too many times. But if you want a handmade pair of shoes, you can still go to a cobbler and you can still get a handmade pair of shoes that are custom to your feet. But 99.9% .9 of shoes made in the world are now made by machines. And it's the same with hats. So those, the people with those very specialist skills, there are still those artisans in the world, but they're very rare and they're very expensive, but they generate amazing products or content. And I guess I see, it's almost like a race to the bottom, isn't it? Where 90% or you know maybe more of businesses and small businesses and people getting started they will use whatever tools they have to hand. So they won't have to build small teams of people and, and the content will be mediocre, but that's just because it's good enough and it's better than what they could do themselves. And so as long as it's better than what I can do myself, then it's still a, an improvement. It doesn't mean it's the best in the world, but it's still better than what I could do. So therefore it's good enough. And yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's interesting. I, I really, I'm curious to to see what happens. And you're right. None of us can predict what's going to happen. None of us can predict what will happen in the next year. I mean, something will crop up that none of us ever even contemplated would happen, you know, in 2024, 2025. And we'll just be like, where did that come from? I would uh, put a longer fixed rate on my mortgage. So, hey, I want someone to tell me that stuff. <laughs> and I that was going to happen. <laughs> so, you know, so, but no, in all honesty, I think going into it with fear is not going to help anyone uh, of us. And I predict that your audience is 
might be quite in a bubble or in the periphery of the bubble. And if you are, that means you're already privileged to be able to listen to a podcast like that with people who share about it. You can possibly hopefully use that too as well. If you do, you're privileged, then use it. Because a lot of people will super follow you down the line, down the line, and it will be much slower for them. And and as I said in that show that we just went to, we're scribing, most of people still have no clue what we're talking about. Or they heard, but they're scared. Because the, the, the trajectory of the change is always super slow. In general, as humans, some of us, as you said, those individuals will take it, will churn it out, will earn millions on it, and they're fast. And there's few people like that in the world always when something new happens. NFT, metaverse, you name it. There's always these experts. They churn it out. They, they make millions. They, they disappear. But most of us, any change, we don't like change as humans because it means that I need to do some work. We don't like work. We like work that we like. Yeah, of But course, we yeah. don't like, that, oh, I need to learn about it now. I, how many people in my network or clients are very passive about it? It, down to how do I log in? Yeah. Stuff takes time. So the, the funny bit here is that we take time. The tool is very fast, which gives a lot of people headaches when they see daily tools on product hunt popping up like there's no tomorrow. I'm just learning Notion. Wait. And there's like 10 more tools. Yeah. Yeah. There's hundreds of tools already. And what's been interesting is the speed at which a lot of the platforms that are out there have been able to integrate AI into their platforms. Notion's a great example. I use Notion and then Notion, you know, pops up and, or actually Adobe is a better example because Adobe, there was no even thought or as far as anybody outside of Adobe knew anyway, there was never any thought or plan or nothing was in their roadmap about having an AI tool like Firefly that could help generate you know, parts of images and, and do all the things that it does. Yet in what, less than six months, they went from seemingly having no product at all to now having a total product that is a fully capable AI product that can do amazing things. So that's been really quick. And I, th- I think part of the challenge that we're going to see is, is that the, the rate of change is so much faster that a lot of those people and I agree with you, there are a lot of people out there who either, they just discount it because they don't believe it. And they think, oh, well, it's never going to be, it's not a human. It's never going to be as good as a human. And so they don't really have to worry about it. And it's just going to sneak up on them. And and some of those people, when you actually sit down and show them and and you know say, okay, what do you want? And they try and come up with the most challenging thing they can come up with. And you you put in a prompt and it comes back with an answer and they're like, oh my God. You're like, yeah, you should probably think about this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I do have a question, sorry, to slightly change topic and that came up just in while, while, while we were chatting. One thing I find is that at the minute, a lot of people, professionals, creatives, whatever, we hold AI to this really super high standard, like it has to be perfect all the time. And humans aren't perfect ever. So where do you think that that, where do you think that that idea comes in and that pushback comes in? Do you think it's like a defense mechanism that they say, well, it's not perfect. So therefore it's no good. Whereas humans are never perfect. So 
is it is it a way to sort of to sort of put the technology down to then have to not pay attention to it because I, it it makes me feel like I need to up my game. I mean, we are built from when we're at school and in homes to you know it's all about like at school be perfect, have the A, great, you know, and all that stuff. So we're taught to always impress and be on that top. And, and it's very unfortunate because it doesn't help our creativity or work or life or health. And once you understand that, like nothing, what is perfect? What, what, like the movies that we watch that are not real, what is perfect, right? And everyone has a different perception of perfect. So again, it's it's a bit like it brings me back to when we were one of the first companies, uh, at least in London, UK, as far as I know, to start using tech instead of big papers, big foam boards, uh, heavy markers, all bad for the planet when you think about it. And no one knows what to do with that bloody thing afterwards when we were doing these big, you know, strategic pieces or conferences. Looks brilliant and stops people, does the job. And don't get me wrong, at certain places, it, it has still very much a place. But we were one of the first ones to be like, no, let's jump on digital. We're going to try it. And it was awkward. Uh, most of tablets didn't work as we want them to, died out quickly, got warm. I mean, how many conversations I had with like uh, Microsoft team that uh, we were testing surfaces, the studio, uh, iPad was the kind of first one to really get it, but still not perfect because it doesn't feel like drawing. It, it's never, and to me, as most of my colleagues in, in the kind of visual world, let's call it, it's not perfect. It's not like sitting down in front of a paper and physically creating something. But what it does, it speeds you up. It's, it's, it's more crisp. It's digital. Therefore, there's more use. It saves the planet. It's cheaper. It's all these things that client will say yes to. So I was, that, that just reminds me that story of like I was pushing and pushing and pushing how many tablets and screens we tested to get us to a not perfect place, but just good enough that we can do our work at certain level for the client. Same with this thing. It's not perfect, but then what, what, what do you mean? Like it's this thing is here now. Use it to the best of your knowledge and to the best of everyone else's knowledge. So if your knowledge is limited, get yourself a 60 prompts PDF for $20, learn some new prompts. If your mid-journey, let's say imagination is struggling and you're like, oh, I said that already. It doesn't look like I wanted to. Look at 100 examples of how people prompt mid-journey to get different outcomes. So, and, and that's how you can progress. That's how the program will progress with you. Otherwise, what is perfect? In the next two years, you will talk to me and that will be the, the, the next level, right? And the last one we'll laugh at, just like we laugh at the old phones that we used to have. How funny. Now they're looking like that. Well, your kid is going to laugh at you that you probably strained your neck as an older person. And he'll be like, why did you stare at this block, dad, all the time? Now we have X. You know, so it's like, it's this, like, we're constantly in some sort of flow. And I would say, learn it well enough to the best of your knowledge and the best how you can use it and utilize it. Otherwise, stop whining and make a better product. <laughs> Yeah. I just find it interesting because people will produce something in, I don't know, chat GPT, and then they'll say, oh, it made this up. Or, you know, we need to have a detailed list and a log of how it arrived at this decision. And my question is always, so how did you arrive at your decision? Tell, tell me in detail, write a detailed log of all the experiences in your life that led you to come to that decision. And a human can't do it. 
So why do we why do we automatically assume that we need to understand every single detail of how it came up? You know, any any AI tool, it could be anything, whether it's doing chemistry or it's playing chess. If you ask a chess AI to come up with the reasons, it would probably give you a thousand pages of text that you couldn't read through and understand anyway, because it's like a human. And I just find it really interesting that people keep saying, oh, but it made a mistake or, oh, it made up something. I'm like, yeah, so does Joe down at the pub. And so does the person next to you in the office. And you don't know what their motivations are for telling you something, just like you don't know what the, why the AI was motivated to say that particular thing either. It's just interesting. I just find it interesting. We hold these AI tools to a much, much higher standard than we hold another human being. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just curious about the psychology behind that. Sorry, I'm talking a lot again. No, really not. And to, to your point, uh, I've been recently to an amazing AI event in the morning, and there was few people stating actual data where it stands that you're right. That what are the motivations of the tool? Apparently, depending on the geography where you are, what's stored in the data, all sorts of things, even down to it could be soon very much your IP and where you're based, your age, your sex, because everything's available. All your information about you is available. Um, it will possibly prompt something very like kind of, you know, as it wants to prompt. So uh, the lady was speaking about how, uh, let's say, let's say there was a question about top C-suite leaders in this sort of industry, and it was, let's say, 10, list of 10 men, where the if you really dig down into the data, they'll be in between easily, and that list should be like four to five women or something like that. For example, I'm just giving that like out of, you know, example. And, and it just made people think like, be careful, like what you trust. And yes, it's information, but as you just said, David, if you tell me sky is red, you know, I'm, I will trust you or not. And if someone tells me, no, sky is blue or sky is yellow, really, it's, you see blue, but it's yellow, really. Like it's, it so depends. We have to be careful of this whole, like, I'm not talking about fake news right now, but I'm talking about questioning everything you work with because it's so designed to show you certain things. And even with algorithms and everything, do you think I bump into specific uh, Instagram profiles by chance? No, there's no chance anymore. There may be at the beginning it was a big little maze that we were all fascinated by. And, and if you found something that you really like, I don't know, this manga character from Japan poster and you can download it and it has few kilobytes, it was like the most exciting thing. But now everything I see, it's designed for me to see because they know my age, my sex, my spend, people I'm surrounded by, what I uh, spend more time on when I scroll it's down to everything. So it's, it's be mindful. Which is, which has actually been a big discussion, I think in, in advertising and ad tech circles for a long time, which is all it does is it, it puts you in a spiral. So the more that the algorithm learns about you and what you click on and what you look at, or if you linger over a, an ad a little bit longer or a picture a little bit longer than something else, then that all feeds into this profile that they build for you. And then they only give you content that they think that you're going to respond to. And what they don't do is they don't random test for the stuff that you may be interested in that they don't know about. And so you end up in these bubbles or in these sort of, you know, these, these kind of spirals around the same sort of content. It's really interesting if you go on 
particularly on Instagram, it's quite fun to go sometimes and search for something random that you've never searched for. And they'll get confused and watch the results come up because then it starts showing you tons of that content because it's like, oh, is this something else that you're interested in? So it wants to see how you react to it. And it does it on, it'll do it across all the platforms. So you can search for, I don't know, you know, yellow surfboards or something if, you know, if you don't surf and something unusual and then go on YouTube, go on Facebook, go on LinkedIn, go and all across the internet, you're going to see surfing related stuff and yellow surfboards and all that sort of thing. So yeah, it's, it's those sort of bubbles that you get put in are quite interesting from a, from an advertising perspective. And we've talked because I was in the ad tech industry for a long time. And so, you know, we always talked about that and how you kind of keep that from happening. That's why for me, it's like the beauty of serendipity and randomness is super important to keep in your life in any sort of way. And what I'm talking about here is meeting other humans in reality and traveling, for example, if you can, if you're again, privileged enough to travel. And if you're surrounded by people in your life where you're not on a mountain with one big house, if you're happy, that's great for you. But I would say the the try to keep those two things in life because when I think about going on Instagram anywhere in, in tech space, anything plugged in, it will influence me because it knows what I want to see. It will, it's, there's no randomness. It will show me what I want, what I predict. It, you think sometimes like, oh, look at this brand that I found and I'm so original and I bought this like sweater from them. No, you didn't. It was shown to you because you looked at five other things like that and you slowed down when your friend was wearing similar, yeah. right? Yeah. On a picture. So I really, really encourage all of us still to be plugged in in the real world because that's where your brain will still be able to stay fresh, live longer, hopefully, uh, think critically, randomize talking to another person, observing life happen around you and traveling is amazing for that because that's where the real stuff not influenced by the tech will come at you. Meeting a person that you haven't thought about, listening to a tune you never heard, reading something that will challenge your thinking, observing a couple doing something that you never seen, whatever. So we need that stuff. Otherwise, it's very much when you think about it, designed for us what my day will be online i think that's a good place to end the conversation just because that's a nice little bit of advice that we can leave everybody with at the end what do you think i think so because you know again we're meeting on wednesday so i'm that's my randomizing thing going on so everyone go out more out there plug yourself out a bit sometimes when you can (laughs) but use the tools when you when and where you can to make yourself better Totally embrace it and almost think about it like supercharging your already amazing skills. Awesome. Natalia, that was an amazing conversation. What the listeners don't know is we talked for about a half an hour before we ever got started about all sorts of geeky tech stuff. So it feels like we've been on for ages, but um, thank you very much. I think you had some good, uh, some good thoughts in there and I'm looking forward to meeting you at MadFest tomorrow and we'll see where we go from there. Thank you so much, David. That was a pleasure. Love it. Thank you. Okay, folks, that's a wrap on another amazing episode of Creatives with AI. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you want to stay up to date on how all things related to AI is impacting the creative industries, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever your favorite platform is. We're on them all. And follow us on social media. We're on mainly Twitter and LinkedIn but we're the same handle everywhere, which is at Creatives with AI. 
We'd also really appreciate it if you could just take a minute to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those are our two main platforms and it really helps other listeners find the show and it also helps us get more popularity and more exposure. So it'd be amazing if you could help us with that. If you've got any questions, topic suggestions, guest recommendations, feel free to send us an email. The best email is hello at creativeswith.ai or you can shoot us a message on social media. Either one is fine. We love hearing from all of you and we can't wait to bring more exciting episodes in the future. And the best way we can do that is to get feedback from the audience and have the audience tell us who it is you'd like to hear from and what things you'd like us to ask and what topics you'd like us to talk about. So please use that. Let us know what you want to hear and we'll do our best to get it for you. And last but not least, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Future Hand Limited, who make this podcast possible. Your support means the world to us. And we really appreciate it. So thanks very much. That's it for today. So until next time, take care, everybody, and stay curious.